Welcome to The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Orwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And in today's episode, it's the second part of our look at insanity in Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu. Before we jump into the main topic, what's going on? Well, there's a show on Netflix that I'd like to recommend called Wild Wild Country. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, I to watch that. Yeah, about the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, uh, who in... 1981 him and his followers went over to america and bought up a massive ranch and basically it was a cult base i mean in some ways they were quite loving benevolent people and in other ways it all went a bit crazy whether or not there's any connection to like cults in call of cthulhu or not it's a really well-made show it's i think it's five parts and it's yeah i found it really compelling and well-made and also, running until October this year in Oxford, I went to the Tolkien exhibition at the Bodleian Library in Oxford. It runs until uh, late October this year, 2018, and it collects together a bunch of his paintings and pictures and illustrations and maps and writings. And if you're at all interested in Tolkien, then I, I thoroughly recommend it. Are there lots of songs in Elvish? Um, there's some stuff about his early days coming up with the Elvish language and so on and Beowulf and whatnot. But one of the things I found really interesting was it really brought home how he would do artwork and he'd do maps and he'd do writing and sort of bounce between the three and all three of these would inspire each other. So I found that really interesting. And the fact that he was such a talented artist stroke illustrator as well. Um, some of his stuff is yeah, perhaps a bit naive or rudimentary, but some of them are really accomplished. Um, oh, no, not really something I'd, I'd really think of him for. No, no. And also just so much stuff. So many of his writings were on exam manuscripts, you know, blank exam manuscripts <laughs> or in college ex school exercise books and things like that. He'd just write on whatever he had to hand. And so many bits of artwork, kind of like doodles, but really intricate, alongside the Times crossword. Yeah, I guess, I mean, he was doing a lot of that work, wasn't he, uh, during rationing? So uh, paper was rationed. Paper was very short, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess, yeah, you, you would have to write on just about anything you could get your hands on. But it also made me think, if he'd have had a smartphone, I don't think he'd have done half that stuff. Because you'd just be doodling away on the internet. You wouldn't actually be drawing and writing and all that stuff, I don't think. But I did like the, some of his maps where he's written on it and you can see he's been returning to them over the years. And there's even pinhole burns where bits have dropped out of his pipe and burnt through them. <laughs> and then he's stuck other bits of paper on top and it's a very kind of organic progress. I, I've only ever seen that happen when people have been smoking hash. Well, I can't comment on Professor Tolkien's, you know, intake. <laughs> Elvish pipe weed. Yeah. <laughs> and now, the Lovecraftian word of the week. This week, our word is alienist. It's a noun. One. Formerly, a physician specialising in the treatment of mental illness. A psychiatrist. Two. An expert witness in a sanity trial. Now, this is a word you don't really hear much these days, except you, you hear it a bit more because back in the 1990s, Caleb Carr wrote a, a, a period mystery novel set in, in 1890s New York called The Alienist, which was recently adapted to television. And uh, it's, it's certainly on Netflix in the UK. I don't know about elsewhere in the world. Uh, I've not read the book. I've heard good things about it. But the TV series I thought was okay. Um, if you're interested in sort of uh, Gaslight Cthulhu and investigation in that period, then, yeah, I can see it being rich inspiration. It seems a very evocative word, much more interesting than just psychiatrist or 
mm. um, doctor and so on, an alienist, because it has the word alien in it. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually comes from the French term aliéné, uh, which uh, means insane. It's not alien as in Roswell. No, sadly. <laughs> I was thinking xenomorph. xenomorph. Yeah, oh, I mean, there's there's a, a scenario waiting to happen. You know, a psychiatrist to, to the Mego. <laughs> <laughs> Scoring 19 on the Lovecraftometer in his solo fiction as alienists, mostly in the case of Charles Dexter Ward and Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Let's take a look at how Lovecraft used the word alienist in his fiction. From Beyond the Wall of Sleep. The alienists soon agreed that abnormal dreams were the foundation of the trouble. Dreams whose vividness could for a time completely dominate the waking mind of this basically inferior man. And from the case of Charles Dexter Ward, the morbid listening of his mother in the night brought out the fact that he made frequent sallies abroad under cover of darkness, and most of the more academic alienists unite at present in charging him with the revolting cases of vampirism, which the press so sensationally reported about this time, but which have not yet been definitely traced to any known perpetrator. And from the shadow out of time. This, indeed, though an alternative folklore theory finally seemed to me more plausible, was the belief of many of the alienists who helped me in my search for parallel cases, and who shared my puzzlement at the exact resemblances sometimes discovered. Now, moving on to our main topic, insanity in Call of Cthulhu. In an earlier episode, we talked about uh, insanity in Lovecraft and the way it's portrayed in his fiction and the way it influenced his life. This time, we're looking at how that has shaped Call of Cthulhu, how Call of Cthulhu deals with and presents insanity and um, ways in which we can present this ourselves in our games. And once again, we shall be using words like insane and mad an awful lot in this, because it's part of the game, it's part of the fiction. These terms are not necessarily terms we'd ever apply to people, but it's pretty well impossible to talk about the game and the fiction without using them. So please, you know, don't take this as being pejorative on our part. Well, to start off with, how does madness in Call of Cthulhu, how does that compare with what we talked about in Lovecraft's fiction? Yeah, we found a couple of examples in the episode about insanity in Lovecraft of characters who do see something horrible and as a result go insane. But there were really just you know, a couple of examples. Um, you know, there was the protagonist of Dagon upon seeing Dagon. There was uh, Robert Blake at the end of Haunter of the Dark. There was, was the last Danforth Al- in... The Last Alaport and Danforth. Well, no, I mean, the last Delapore, you know, as we touched upon in that episode, was a bit different because that was something more insidious. Mm. That was something in his bloodline. I'm, th- I'm thinking in terms of the classic Call of Cthulhu. You see this creature and it's a D60, 20 sand loss, make your sand roll. Ooh, yeah, go wibble. Well, of course, I mean, you referenced in the last episode that Rob Olmsted in Shadow of Rinsmouth witnesses deep ones but doesn't go insane. But what's to say he just made his sand rolls? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, so it that still kind of works, right? Because seeing these monsters, yes, it can have the effect of triggering an, an episode of insanity, but it doesn't necessarily. No, but I mean, in Call of Cthulhu, it's it's a rare game where someone doesn't have a bout of madness. Hmm. Uh, whereas it's not really that common a thing in Lovecraft stories. I mean, popular conception is that it's something that's in there a lot more than what it is. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair enough. Um, it's it's one of the themes that appears in Lovecraft stories and appears in the game. Yeah, it certainly is one of the defining features of, of Lovecraftian horror. But I, I, I suppose what I was trying to get at is that, you know, in, in Lovecraft, it tends to be a more insidious thing. It, it tends to be that process of revelation, of putting the pieces together, of, of understanding, of, um, of understanding what's in yourself or understanding the full implications of what it is you're, you're researching, rather than the, the simple traumatic shock of seeing something scary. Yeah, but I mean, we get sanity losses from other things aside from seeing monsters. We we do, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about most games of Call of Cthulhu I've played. 
I mean, the vast majority of the sand losses you get are you've seen something horrible. Hmm. I just think you know, it, it would be interesting when we're writing our scenarios or developing them. And I, I, I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, of, of thinking beyond that and, and thinking about presenting that sort of insidious chipping away, that process of revelation, that process of understanding, rather than just you know, the sheer trauma. So putting in more sanity roles for when the character or when the perhaps the players um, come to certain realizations or realize certain knowledge. I mean that that happens in the game through reading tomes and so on. But yeah. Yeah, I think we could incorporate that, make make more of that. Yeah, yeah. That's Call of Cthulhu insanity mechanics relating to Lovecraft. What about Call of Cthulhu mechanics relating to actual real world mental illness? How well does it? intend or how well does it actually mirror those i mean this is potentially a contentious subject i mean you know i've, I've been reading around recently you know different internet forums and uh, seen a few videos of, of panels and stuff like that where people have been talking about their reaction to sanity mechanics in games in general there are some people who are deeply uncomfortable about the idea of sanity mechanics at all and it's something that I struggle with a bit sometimes as well, you know, the idea of, of mental health or mental illness as, as entertainment. But the more I thought about it, the more I looked at the way Call of Cthulhu presents sand loss or the effects of trauma, the more I realised that it wasn't actually that egregious. Perhaps in earlier editions there were some effects of bouts of insanity that were you know, a bit more unrealistic. Um, and certainly in Pop Cthulhu, you know, it's, it's designed to be very uh, true to the pulp genre. But I think in 7th in edition, you've actually done quite a good job of presenting some of the effects that people actually get as a result of extreme mental trauma. They're unusual effects. I mean, so things like dissociative amnesia or, or dissociative fugue states and stuff like that don't actually necessarily happen that often in real life. And certainly, you know, say... Uh, psychotic delusions as a result of PTSD are quite rare, but not unknown. Yeah, when working on 7th edition Call of Cthulhu, Mike and I were both keen to make the sanity rules reflect what we see in fiction and films and so on, rather than necessarily reflecting clinical diagnoses and actual mental illness. Mm. For two reasons, I think. One is it's narratively more interesting you know the delusions and and those kind of yeah. um, manifestation of those kind of things so i mean for example i mean you talked about depression as a result of, of trauma yeah i think there'd be very little entertaining in a call of cthulhu game about playing someone in, in the grip of a, a bout of depression yeah yeah what would you do with that yeah <laughs> um <laughs> stay indoors shut the curtains i don't know yeah, but pretty much yeah. Well, what do you? I think a it's a it's a difficult thing to portray genuinely, and b it'd be not a very interesting thing to no. portray either. I mean, yeah, I can see some people might want to really get into that, but I think that'd be a minority. But instead, I mean, you said you talked about wanting to present it the way that it's is uh, presented in fiction. I know, or at least in, in other media. I mean, that that's a fairly broad thing. I mean, we see some really, I, I'd say more often than not, when you see mental illness as a plot point in, in a bit of fiction, it's handled really badly, uh, usually in a sensational way, that, um, you know, when, when you encounter mentally ill characters in, you know, particularly thrillers and horror films and so on, they're, they're almost almost exclusively, you know, violent. Evil and violent, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, mental illness no, is, so, yeah, is a driver for horror. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm not really thinking of the portrayals in horror films, I suppose. I'm thinking more of the portrayals that we might see in a film like um, A Beautiful Mind about John Nash, which did kind of sensationalise some aspects of it, but then we see him back at home with his wife after he's on medication and it's a really sad existence and we might take some of the events in fight club say or a film like that not that we want to mirror that kind of fiction but where people are having delusions and they're not sure what's real and what isn't and i think that's a very interesting feature in a story having a big silver ball roll down the street would certainly liven up any scenario though 
But I think it's interesting contrasting that to you know some of the other games that I saw come out in the wake of Call of Cthulhu, particularly from the 80s, that tried to handle sanity mechanics in their own way and you know perhaps went wildly overboard. Um, I'm trying to remember which game it was. I, I, I had it firmly in my mind that it was an early version of Call of Cthulhu, and it's not because I'd changed. It may be something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, what did it do? Um, where the effects of some kind of shock would do things like give you schizophrenia or give you bipolar disorder. Right. You know, all, all these disorders that you, know, you, you tend to be born with. And so the idea of, of being shocked into having you know, a, a congenital illness is, you know, I, I, I don't know, it, it just struck me as being wrong in some really offensive ways. It does strike me as a little bit familiar to some of the mechanics that are in what was New World of Darkness, but is now known as Chronicles of Darkness, where you have the morality system that you perform an act that is considered to be of lower morality than what you are. You make a degeneration check. If you fuck it up to such an extent, you could potentially pick up a derangement like schizophrenia. Wow. Okay. Wow. What? Actual, actually develop schizophrenia? Yeah, it's, it's an extreme instance, yeah, but, it's but it there. is possible. Right. So, I mean, that's brings up another topic of morality and insanity. And we see that a bit in some of the sanity rewards for chapters and scenarios in Call Mm. of Cthulhu. And it's something that never sits very easy with me, that, you know, if they rescued the villagers and everybody survived, then they get sanity. But if, oh, if they, you know, if they killed somebody or whatever, then they lose sanity. I don't know. Yeah, sure, witnessing murder and so on is i can see that affecting the sanity rating but moral decisions i'm not sure i I guess it might be justified as you know the guilt of having failed these people yeah um or the catharsis of of having made a difference in in a horrible and uh, hostile world but yeah i i agree from a metagame point of view it seems i don't know um it heavy seems hand, like heavy-handed at best. Yeah, it seems almost like this is what you what this is what the group should do if they're acting in a you know lawful good kind of manner. It also helps to distinguish, and this might be jumping ahead a little bit, but looking at zero san characters or cultists, it's very much those are the kind of people that would go be quite happy to go out with their daggers and go and sacrifice uh, sacrifice the villagers when they are at that state, as opposed to your good hearty investigator that's got at least more than one point of san who's therefore the good guy. As soon as you hit zero, it seems like you just become the bad guy and you're free to go and kill and maim in any way you want. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll dig into that a bit more later in the episode. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things then in a game of Call of Cthulhu should actually provoke a sanity roll? If we're sticking with the the themes of Call of Cthulhu, should a sanity roll be there for everything from putting the pieces together and understanding the true horror behind reality to seeing a big monster to stumbling across a dead body? For me, it's something that is wildly outside the normal boundaries of your day-to-day existence. That there are some things that, one example that's come up fairly recently in a game I'm running is teleportation. Um, in a modern-day setting, I don't think someone using a gate box or a gate spell or something like that should be particularly sanity-blasting for someone watching it because you're familiar with concepts of things like transporters from Star Trek or mm. teleportation devices and such. It's something that at least is somewhere in your consciousness or imagination that it could potentially happen. Well, but you whoosh yeah. that, that back into a gaslight period, that should scare the shit out of you. Yeah, it's not just that it's in your imagination, but you have visual cues for it, mm-hmm. having seen them on you know, in films and television. So, yeah, I suppose that the, you could make the argument that that has inured you. Mm. Yeah, that is something that at least you're presented as being it's possible, even if it's fictional and so on. Yeah, I, I think it would still be absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah, I don't buy this at life. all, actually. <laughs> but, I think but, the fact I've seen it on Star Trek, I, I kind of know that's not real. It almost goes back to that whole idea of whether exposure to screen violence or video game violence or whatever inures you to real violence. Uh, I'm not sure it does. I, 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 I think... I don't think so. Yeah. Years I, of playing GTA have really informed the way I drive. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it, it, it certainly inures you to the portrayal of violence. Me, yeah, yeah um, sure. It can do that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I suppose, yeah, no, no amount of seeing you know, Tarantino films will ever prepare you for 
uh, if somebody broke your front door down and like grabbed one of us and started hacking them to pieces with a machete, that would be something else. That would be if they got me with that blade. I hope they pull a muscle because there's a lot to hack. <laughs> well, okay, Matt, that could be the worst that happens. I don't know. Uh, but, but the the thing of the thing about the monsters, I think. We sort of question that sometimes. Well, why mm. would seeing one of these monsters actually make you make a sanity roll? And I think you have to, as a keeper, maybe think, why is it causing a sanity roll? This deep one, it's not just a man with a bit of a fishy face. It's got to be more than that. It's got to, you've got to describe it in such a way that it is so shocking and um, weird and otherworldly that it would be credible that it would cause a sanity roll. I think you've got to to take it on and think, this is causing a big sand loss. Why is it causing a big sand loss? And maybe look at Lovecraft's descriptions of them or just come up with something in your own head that communicates that. Well, I think there's a deeper philosophical point that lies behind that, which is, let's say that you have sand loss for seeing a deep one. Now, is that because it's a big, scary monster that, uh, you know, liken it to, say, wandering around a haunted house attraction at Halloween. You see horrible things portrayed well, you see, you know, you get sudden shocks, you get that fright, that jump out of your skin moment, you know, and perhaps laugh it off afterwards. But there is that initial shock, and you, you only laugh it off because it's not real. Is it something like that, that it's just the shock of having something unexpected and something horrible intrude into your world? Or is it the fact that the creatures of the mythos are so outside the human imagination? Going back to what we said in the Lovecraft episode, that they represent something beyond the human mind's ability to conceive. Is, is that what breaks? Well, I think perhaps the, the, the degree of sand loss dictates that. If it's just a few points, then perhaps it is just that shock. It's a monster. It's something, ah, it's something horrific. If it's enough to sort of tip you over the edge into a into an episode of insanity then maybe you have put the pieces together in your head and you've realized it is some other worldly thing and and you know it has more of a, a psychological impact on you well i think it's it's even beyond that and i talked a bit in in the, that previous episode about how human imagination is pretty much shaped by rearranging familiar elements into into new permutations but, you know, by being confronted with something that is you know, outside any set of permutations you could conceive, I, I think the experience of encountering that would be deeply shocking. It's not even just a question of rationally putting the pieces together and seeing it. It's just, um, you know, you, you, your mind is suddenly seeing something that it can't categorise, it can't conceive. But I think you've got to think of a way of how you communicate that at the table oh, to yeah. the players. And that's the challenge for the keeper. You can almost parallel to a, to a degree um, seeing a monster a bit like um, someone with epilepsy seeing flashing lights, hmm. that it is just a reaction that the brain has. Uh, a, bit, a bit more flippant result would be if, I suddenly, if I'm sat at home and suddenly a soap opera comes on the TV, I just develop this uncontrollable rage to beat the TV into a pulp. It's just it's a reaction that happens when you're confronted with certain stimuli if your brain is wired in that way. Hmm. There's a book I read recently which I thought was really interesting on this front, a novel called Bird Box by Josh Malaman. It's a sort of, well, I guess, almost post-apocalyptic horror novel that's set in a world where these creatures have just started appearing out of nowhere. And basically, if anyone just sees one, even for a moment, it is such an alien experience that it just destroys that person's mind. They might become violent. Most often they become suicidal. Sometimes they become delusional. But it's just the fact that these things are so spectacularly alien that just seeing them is more than the human mind can cope with. I think that that is something that we don't necessarily see in Lovecraft's stories so much, but it is sort of implicit, I think, in, in Call of Cthulhu. You know, certainly when it comes to the gods, those D10, D100 sand losses. I, sort of building on that then, I... Do you think that there'd be an argument for being more discriminating in the kinds of things that we ask for sand rolls? If we wanted a pure Lovecraftian horror experience, should we then not bother with things like sand rolls for things like encountering dead bodies, uh, for things that are mundane horrors, and save it purely for the cosmic? 
Uh, no, because I think it's the value of shock and um, reactions to things that are, you know, real world horrors as well. I think that seems to fit to me. Yeah, I, I guess it depends what you consider sanity to be in the game. Because it's so tied in with the Cthulhu mythos, there's almost the implication in there, at least to me, that it reflects some kind of cosmic understanding. That, you know, the more you understand about the true nature of reality, the more uh, your normal human perceptions get chipped away at. And, you know, you've got this in the game that there's that turning point where your Cthulhu mythos exceeds your sanity. Mm. For me, that implicitly ties sanity into this cosmic understanding and I, I, it, it doesn't quite work so well for me that you'd experience the same kind of sand loss for those revelations and you'd have your mind chipped away the same way as you would for say seeing another investigator shot in the face with a shotgun no i think if you take that approach it wouldn't i don't take that approach i think what you described as the cosmic understanding is rated in the cthulhu mythos rating I think that's your cosmic understanding of which, you know, we have zero because we've not actually been exposed to any of that as far as I know, guys, right? Oh, speak for yourself. Yeah, okay. Read a few books. That's all the, the Lovecraftian mythos stuff goes into Cthulhu mythos skill. I think the sanity rating is a purely human thing, totally separate to that. And I think that can be eroded by things that are mundane if you want to call everything that happens in the real world mundane um, but it, obviously it can also be eroded by those Cthulhu mythos things as well if we parallel it to hit points you can take damage from the guy next door hitting you with an axe or you can take damage from um, a shoggoth hitting you so hit points is a purely human thing I think sanity points are a purely human thing as well yeah I'd, I'd look at it in a similar kind of way that it's a sliding scale that at the bottom end of the scale, you've got, say this in inverted commas, mundane stimuli, such as seeing a dead body, seeing your friend's face getting blown off with a shotgun, up to maybe a little bit further up the scale, confronted by a deep one, further up the scale, confronted by shoggoths and then gods, etc. That it's just a sliding scale. The mythos is something that has more of an impact upon human sanity than your regular day-to-day -day stuff that you could potentially become um, subjected to and therefore has more um, packs more of a punch and does more damage. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the other stuff at the small end of the scale doesn't have an impact as well. Okay, now, now that we've got a, a slightly better grip of what we think sanity means in the game, even if we don't all entirely agree on it, what do you think it means if in the game if a character is insane? Particularly characters who hit zero sanity. I've, I've said before I kind of see it as the point where they abandon all restrictions, conceits, beliefs that would make them identifiable as a normal human being that they have thrown away laws, pretty much as the line in Call of Cthulhu says, that they have thrown away all, all their laws and morals and embraced new ways of killing one another and revel in this ecstasy of freedom. That they are quite happy and don't care about consequence. I, I mean, that's slightly troubling to me because it then goes back to that idea of tying mental health with morality. It, it's a way of looking at it, yes. But it's also, I think, the way that most cultists are portrayed in scenarios. Yeah, but but I mean, do do we consider you know in Call of Cthulhu uh, morality to be uh, linked to mental health? It's the way I think you can justify how someone who hits zero sand can still remain functional, rather than just their mind is completely gone and they are so consumed by their mental illness that they no longer function. It's a way that you can have someone at zero sand still work as an antagonist without being in broad sweeping strokes in an in an asylum strapped to their bed all the time. What happens when one hits zero sanity? I would say if this happens to a person through an accumulation of sanity rolls that weren't necessarily based in the Cthulhu mythos and they don't really have a very good understanding of that side of things, then I think, well, we could take it that that could happen to a person through what we might call real-world shocks and trauma. Um, in which case, I think they would probably, you know, in an institution on medication and, you know, a very unfortunate case. But I don't think they would be evil in any way. They're just severely mentally ill, I guess. But I'd, I'd make a strong difference there to somebody who 
is a potentially a cultist, if you like, somebody who has gained Cthulhu mythos knowledge because now they've got that insight into if we want to in the fiction say how the real universe works, right? The the, the Cthulhu mythos knowledge. So if they hit zero sanity, they can just be terrible case like the former one but they can take on a new realization of the universe if their cthulhu mythos is high enough rather than seeing the world through sanity they can kind of look at the world through cthulhu mythos through a new set of goggles if you like um, so they can operate at zero sanity because that human scale of sanity doesn't apply to them anymore they see the world in a totally different way sanity is not even a thing anymore it's cthulhu mythos that is now their the lens through which they see the world yeah that's their sanity almost yeah that, that's the kind of thing i was getting at is that mm. it's they're operating by a completely different set of rules and so, they are looking at the universe in a completely different way in which case what we might call in inverted commas evil if they've sort of taken on that other side of things if we want to equate the mythos with evil we can do it's not really perhaps an appropriate thing but it's a human concept yeah but they would be doing what we would consider depraved acts or acts of evil um, because they're now embedded in the mythos. There is this problem of we see characters, we see player characters hit zero sanity and they're unplayable, and yet we see cultists listed as NPCs in the book and they're in zero sanity, and apparently, for much of the time, they're perfectly able to interact with human society and appear completely acceptable. Well, I think that... That's how I kind of rationalise that. Yeah, except um, it doesn't necessarily mean, I'd say, if an investigator hits zero sanity, that they are you know, a gibbering mess. That you know, that It can be that moment of cosmic realisation. It can be you know, any number of things. It's just an agreed-on part of the mechanics that at that stage they become a non-player character. I, have you had much experience of characters actually hitting zero sanity in the game? Paul running into the woods screaming, my knife, my knife! Yeah, just what you <laughs> described is not having to happen, Scott. Um, in Orient Express, I had a character who reached zero sanity and ran off madly into the woods and was taken out of my hands, and I was perfectly happy with that. That seemed like a good ending. And then in a, in a subsequent chapter, the Keeper bought my character back as an NPC protagonist, mm. and... You know, that was pretty cool. Um, so, they, you know, they, they were able to act and that's kind of become a cultist, if you like. And we shoved a bucket on your head so you wouldn't harm anyone else. Oh. <laughs> I, I've certainly seen other keepers do that uh, where a, a long-standing investigator has hit zero sanity. They've sort of kept them in play or as a recurring antagonist, maybe, hmm. or a foil, or, you know, or some kind of spoiler, just this, this wild card that they can throw into the game every now and then to create chaos. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, and I think that that kind of approach is perhaps more interesting than, you know, again, you know, he, he just tries to murder everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It depends on the context of the scenario, what they should yeah. be doing when they hit zero sand. It shouldn't just be a default that that's what it, re- and what it reverts to. When a character hits zero sand like that, I mean, would you as keepers automatically take the, the character away from the player at that stage? Or would you have some kind of handover or play through that somehow? It really depends on the context of how they've hit zero, San. On the whole, I think I probably would take the character away. I think if the player really objected, then I might sort of have a scene where they sort of lose that character. But ultimately, yeah, I think it's about the sanity mechanics in a nutshell for me are when the player character enters a phase of insanity they lose control of their player character and the keeper dictates the player character's actions. Often with feedback from the player, right? But um, ultimately the player kind of loses control for a little while, which I think that loss of control is something that we see in episodes of mental illness and insanity. Or that they get to describe their beginning of their downward spiral towards self-destruction. That's another way that it could be handled. Hmm. And can you think of some interesting examples of how you would portray, particularly NPCs with zero sign? You just have someone performing actions which to them are fairly normal, but absolutely disgusting or, again, completely outside the frame of reference for the PCs, like someone sitting at a table eating fingers. Yes. (laughs) I always like the idea, I mean, this is something I've done in a few games, 
of characters who think they're being helpful. I mean, I, I sort of mentioned a sort of evangelical type, but I think just characters who have lost a sense of proportion, uh, have have lost the ability to understand normal human social cues and what is actually helpful for the, the player characters, who desperately want to help them, just end up doing horrible or unproductive things that you know that, that drive the the other characters to despair. Of course, we summon Cthulhu. It's the obvious thing to do. Yes, <laughs> we've skirted around this a bit by talking about some of the mechanical aspects. But what do we actually make of the portrayal of mental illness and insanity in in Call of Cthulhu? This is, as I you know, mentioned in passing earlier, potentially something of a controversial subject. I mean, I've certainly seen. A number of blog posts and discussions from people who find just the presence of sanity mechanics in general you know, to be troubling, particularly I mean, people with mental illness who feel like the, the problems they've been going through are now being turned into entertainment. I, I've been fairly open about it. I've had problems with mental illness. Well, I mean, not, not spectacular, but you know, I've had chronic depression and anxiety since I was a teenager. And it's caused me a lot of problems. I mean, I've lost jobs over it. You know, I've had relationships end over it. And some days I find it very difficult to function. As a result, I do sometimes, you know, when I see mental illness being played particularly for laughs in games, and, and I see this an awful lot in Call of Cthulhu where bouts of madness are almost comic relief moments. Those I really struggle with sometimes. Would you say the game itself encourages that kind of behavior of making light of mental health i i don't think that there's too much implicit within the game that does pop cthulhu may be a slightly different story because you know so some of the poppy effects of insanity there are played for you know maybe not comedic effect but certainly over the top action effect or you know weirdness and uh, i I'm, I'm i'm actually you know, perhaps oddly more willing to accept that as part of the genre. I've certainly had the experience many times at the game table, and I've probably been guilty of it myself, where a character goes into a, a bout of madness and it's sort of, oh, what wacky hijinks can we get into mm. now? It's also a bit of a burden to place on the player as well, that if they don't know how a particular mental illness works or have never had an experience of it, they can be left floundering a bit. And there's that worry of, of shit. What do I do? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of something funny because it takes away that anxiety and that or a, confusion that they, as a player, are having. Maybe yeah, a kind of simplified conception of it that that comes to mind. I mean, I would say that if the three of us are playing a game together, a role playing game together, there's no objective thing happening in the game. Everything mm. that happens comes out of our mouths. There's no rooms. There's no people. It's all stuff that we speak. Um, so anything that happens in the game is entirely our responsibility, the words we put forth. So if there are things that are happening in the game that are objectionable, it's down to us, personally. I think we just have to take responsibility for that. And if we paralleled that with expounding racist views or sexist views or anything prejudice or, or objectionable, it's not a feature of the game. The game hasn't made me into a racist but anything I say in the game, that's my responsibility that, you know, I've said it. This is going to sound pretty prejudicial, and I don't know of, of a way of putting it nicely, but do you think the majority of, of gamers have a mature enough approach to the, the subject of mental health to handle these things realistically, sensitively, or whatever, or is it pretty much the case that in most games of Call of Cthulhu, these things will end up being comedic. I'd say to, to say most is a bit broad stroke. I, I was having a discussion with Paul about this earlier. Um, I just sort of saying, how many times can you remember in a game of Call of Cthulhu someone having a bout of madness and it being a purely poignant, um, horrific thing, that there hasn't been that release of laughter. So, I mean, you talk about, you know, that character you had in Orient Express, for example, who ran off cackling into the darkness. And, I mean, that, that is a fairly comedic image. I mean, yeah, you, you, you can see the horror perhaps underlying it, but there's something about that trope that plays into the comedic presentations we've seen in media of people descending into madness. 
How many times have you actually seen a character, say, spiral into self-destruction, push away the people around them you know, at the time they need them most? I kind of feel this argument really reduces things. I can experience that and see some humour in my character running off madly into the woods, waving the knife above his head and, and, and screaming. I found it at once kind of sad and funny. But what was but the I don't, the table? Did, did people laugh? I think some people stage? laughed, yeah. But I, that was in a game. I don't yeah. then walk away from the table thinking, oh, actually, you know, maybe mad people are funny. You know, maybe people with mental health are funny. I don't walk away from the table thinking that. That's that's That just annoys me, to be honest, mm-hmm. that, that it at once seems to say that people are so, I don't know, stupid that they would think that but don't you think that it sort of subtly reinforces certain prejudices no i don't think so no think thinking back to the even though we're laboring the point um thinking back to that example with the knife the thing that struck me most is it was an echo of something that had happened in one of the previous chapters that you had got hold of that medallion that you then was very possessively this is mine and it was a somewhat tragic that it was kind of echoing that that he got hold of um, a particular medallion that he didn't want to ever let go of. That was taken away from him. He got hold of a knife, which was then something that was a, a, a thing of power that he found, um, maybe not comfort in, but definitely reassurance in. And it was like a crutch to lean on. And that was the last thing that filled his mind before it snapped. At least that was the impression I got from it. Mm. It almost, I mean, this this whole argument of, this argument that we sh- it shouldn't be there because some people, always in brackets, not us, might do it wrong, mm. seems somewhat sanctimonious to me. Yeah, I mean, it does have certain resonances with um, that classic argument for the judge and the Lady Chatterley's trial of, is this a book you'd want your wife or your servant to read? Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all right for people like us, but not for them. Almost reminds me of the satanic panic as well, that, you know, all this is going to corrupt people and make them think wrong. I don't think so. Maybe if it's going to have that effect, if there are people that are playing it and mocking people with mental illness, I don't think that's the game. I think that's the people who are wrong-minded and don't have any conception of the reality of mental illness. I don't think the game is making them do that. It's more an issue with the player than the game itself. Yeah. Yeah. Which was my point about if you parallel it with racism, if they're coming out with the racist things at the table... It's because they're racists. Yeah, but on the other hand, there isn't a racism mechanic in Call of Cthulhu. There is a sanity mechanic. I've just worked on the Kenya chapter in Master and Alathotep, and there's a lot about racism in there and the racism in institutions in the chapter that, if you were so minded, you can play on. Now, no, there isn't a racism mechanic in the game, but it could manifest, I think, just as readily. You could almost use the excuse of, oh, a bit like people are, they jump in defence of some of what Lovecraft wrote. It's the setting, it's the time, therefore, I mean, if it well, was a way of justifying their action or such. I mean, that's that's an interesting thing because, I mean, we can perhaps look at the portrayal of sanity in Call of Cthulhu through the lens of Lovecraft and through the lens of the setting of the 1920s and so on. But do you, do you think then that means we should adjust the way we approach these things if we play, say, a, you know, a, a, a game set in a contemporary setting? Or are we still bringing those 1920s attitudes towards mental health into the modern day because it's still part of the genre? That kind of almost comes back in a little bit to what the example I made earlier, thinking there are some things which are going to be shocking in different time periods, using that teleportation example, that someone that's watched Star Trek in the modern day might not find it as such a fantastic or uh, such a ludicrous concept, but you wind back to Gaslight and you find that that, that concept might be completely alien to them. And I don't recognise the question, Scott, because when I was working on the sanity rules for Call of Cthulhu, the 1920s was a setting. The modern day was a setting. I wasn't working on the sanity rules for the 1920s. But, I, I, I mean, the argument I've seen a number of people make, I'm, I'm not necessarily agreeing with it myself, but it is one that I was interested in addressing, is that, um, you know, perhaps the assumptions about sanity and mental health in Call of Cthulhu come out of Lovecraft, but Lovecraft was, you know, not a particularly 
enlightened individual when it came to this, which you know, I think given its background is actually a fairly unfair thing, in an unenlightened time? Should we be using that as our model for how we betray the effect of these things on mental health in a modern game? Well, I think I just kind of answered that, didn't I? I said I'm not basing it on 1920s setting. Yeah. One response to that could be, look at the front cover of the book. It says, Call of Cthulhu, horror role-playing in the worlds of H.P. Lovecraft. We are using Lovecraft's version of insanity, regardless of what the time period is. Well, I'm not sure how heavily it is influenced by Lovecraft's attitudes on sanity. I think it's because it's using those quite key examples, like Dagon, like... Um, Haunt of the Dark, where it's this is seeing a monster makes you do this. That seems to be the core examples that um, some of those reactions are based around. But the outcomes in the Call of Cthulhu game, not many of those are inspired by events that take place in Lovecraft's fiction, I don't think. No, I think, I think it's more the stimulus that at, prompts the sanity role in the first place. The right. outcome is different. Yeah, yeah. But it's that core, this is what starts the ball rolling. Yes. But the outcome isn't really, I don't think, derived from Lovecraft's fiction so much. It's inspired by, potentially. Yeah, I guess that's fair enough, yeah. (laughs) And now let's discuss our final thoughts about insanity in Call of Cthulhu. So Call of Cthulhu is a horror role-playing game. Do you find that the insanity mechanics in any way reinforce that genre i mean that's that's a really interesting question because not every horror story or every horror film does involve madness as a reaction to horror it does seem to be something that has become inextricably linked with lovecraftian horror and certainly with cosmic horror as a larger uh, larger genre i i suppose it does i mean there's one important respect in which it does in that horror is i i think in a large part about helplessness and there is nothing that reinforces a sense of helplessness more than the feeling that you are losing control you've described the sanity mechanic in call of cthulhu before as a battle for control of the character between the the player and the keeper I suppose, yes, there is that that horror element of, is my character going to end up doing something that I really don't want them to do as a result of what they've been through? And that, I think, does actually, to some extent, accurately represent some of the horror of, of living with mental illness, in that a lot of the time you will end up doing things that you know you don't want to do, that are going to end up harming you, that are going to end up making your life worse. And that is a horrific thing. So, yes, I suppose from that point of view, yeah, it does intensify the horror. I can think of a few examples where I've played horror games that don't have a sanity mechanic, and players have turned around after I've described a particular scene or they've met something and said, this game really needs a sanity mechanic. I think it's something that it makes to a degree, and it's probably in varying degrees depending on the player, it prompts a certain type of play where they genuinely can become scared. That they're worried, oh crap, I've not just got physical hit points to um, to deal with, I've got mental ones to deal with as well. I've got to be cautious, I don't want my character to go either crazy or die, or both. That it reinforces certain tropes that you'd find in, say, horror films or in, say, horror novels that the players have a bit more buy-in. But I think, perversely... I mean, this is possibly drifting away from our main topic slightly, but I think it can make players quite um, averse to engagement sometimes. Um, I've certainly seen this with some players Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're running, you know, a a Call of Cthulhu scenario, a horror scenario in a game with a sanity mechanic. And it's sort of, oh, yeah, actually, no, I'm not going to go exploring. I'm not going to, you know, read the book. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to work out what's going on <laughs> because my character can't cope with it. Oh, yeah, you know? we've, we've seen numerous examples of that happening. Uh, we've discussed them before, definitely. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a sliding scale that there are yeah. degrees to which it will happen. You'll have that ultra-conservative, why the hell am I actually sitting at the table trying to play the game if I'm not I'm going to interact with it because I want all my sanity points and hit points to remain 
intact, to the other end of embracing the genre and saying, I know I'm going to end up going towards a self-destructive spiral. I want to have a fun ride on the way there. And that then there is, say, that sliding degree of um, gradient between them. Hmm. I'd say it's certainly a, a frightening thing to me. I worked for three years in a mental health department in Doncaster. And when I applied for the job, um, I was in my early 20s and I had no idea what it would be like in a psychiatric day centre in a major hospital. And I was applying for the job of a ceramics technician working in a pottery room with psychiatric patients. And on a slightly lighter note, I was heartened because I was reading at the time, I was reading One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> oh and on the train there, I read this line spoken by one of the characters on the ward, which was, we're the psychoceramics, the cracked pots of mankind. <laughs> and I thought, man, I've got to get this job now. <laughs> but, so then I, I get there and I'm welcomed into the room and I didn't know in my head, is this going to be like some crazy room with people running around throwing clay at the walls out of control? I really didn't know what to expect. And I get there and it's a few people that look quite normal, mm. sat at tables, cutting up bits of clay, making things. And I go over to this old guy and I sit down next to him and sort of uh, the first thing he says, I say, oh, that's a nice job you're doing there, putting that like clay wheel barrowed together it's like a little thing that he's making a little model and he puts down his pottery tool he looks at me and says i wish i could put my life back together just as easily oh wow <laughs> that's like a punch in the gut right there i was, and from then on and encountering people who are you know hearing voices and these people some of these people had you know degrees and doctorates they're really clever people but they're just been almost like cursed really with with this affliction of, of hearing voices and that that just terrified me so much that that could be something that people live with and you know so many terrible stories um of you know just the, the just human stories of everyday things that um people hadn't done anything to, to cause it just for whatever reason it kind of um entered their life um it's dreadfully sad and i find that you know that's a pretty terrifying thing to happen to you or to happen to a member of your family or a you know somebody you're close to i think that's um you know one of the most terrifying things really um so i wouldn't want the game to glorify it um or mock it or make fun of it but i think if it's handled sensitively and in a way that seems appropriate to you, then then I think fair enough. Okay, sorry if that's a bit of a downer to end on, but I'm no, going to leave it there. It's poignant. Well, it's a good night from me. Cheerio from me. And a farewell from me. Hello. Blasphemous Tomes. Dot com. Mm -hmm.